Hello, I'm Blythe. Hi, I'm Alham. We are two dumb bitches. And this is Unspoken. Confession time. Uh, I'm apologizing to the two pigeons that were on Huron Street the other day, right near the office. I was walking south on Huron, and I saw these pigeons, and they were just pecking at the ground, and they they were clearly not going to find any food there. And I love pigeons a lot. I they, They're some of my favorite animals. I have a lot of respect for them and for them surviving. And I was like, you know what? I should give these pigeons like the tiny like third of my sandwich that is left from lunch. And so I, I turned around to reach into my bag to get the sandwich out, and I saw this dude like that was walking south on Huron toward me. And I was like, do I really want to be seen whipping out a sandwich and just like tossing it on the ground for some pigeons? So, <laughs> um, so anyway, I, I decided that my pride was worth more than these pigeons' lives, and I did not give the pigeons my leftover sandwich, which I actually will point out that you later ate. <laughs> so, oh, it was that one. Yeah. Oh, well, that's too bad. I guess. I'm not going to have an apology. I'm going to ask for one. Mm. Daniel Caesar came out with a song. I think it was last week or maybe like two weeks ago. It's called Who Hurt You? Mm. And as much as I love listening to Daniel Caesar, his promo for it was, first of all, really like really corny. Like he posted <laughs> a, a, a screenshot of a missed connection post on Craigslist, basically looking for the stripper that he wrote a song about, which is this song. And I was really sad about the title because I'm like, uh, was that necessary? I don't know. I still really like you, but yeah, we listened to that. Like we listened to that together. I was just like, I can't like this soulful, like beautiful voice just being like, I'm a dude and like, oh my God, like women changed me in art. (laughs) I was like, I can't. How mesmerized he is about that ass. So... (laughs) Yeah, I'd like an apology for that. Okay, I would too. Okay, so today we're talking about what it's like to be in the physical spaces and later the academic spaces on campus. Let's start with the physical spaces, the, the buildings, King's College Circle, the Deer Park at UTM. <laughs> etc. What goes into what it feels like to be in those spaces? I think that it definitely depends on, I mean, at least with UTM, it's a lot more, well, of course, it's it's very, I guess, modern in the sense that most of the buildings have been built in the last 50 or so years. Yeah. So it's, it's definitely nice. Like, I, I don't think there are any like real negatives there yeah but I don't know like yours your experience at St. George is very different so. yeah like I know we've talked a lot before about how it feels really weird to be in so many buildings that because U of T the St. George campus has existed and been operating for so long to know that sort of history of exclusion that they've had and sometimes to even see like reminders of that mm-hmm. It can get kind of eerie feeling, honestly. And like, for example, I know we've talked before about Heart House. So at some point, Heart House actually didn't allow women inside at all. 
And yeah, I think there was a distinction between, at least like from my understanding, yeah. there was a distinction between participating in activities oh, and okay. something being there for school-related purposes. Mm-hmm. I know there were different dates for both. Ah, uh, I see. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm pretty sure that was until what, like the 50s or 60s? I think so. Because I know we, we used to hear this like lore, and I don't know whether it's true or not, of like JFK visiting... Hard house. I do not know. Wow, Disclaimer. I, know I did not know. I do not know for sure if this happened. And I don't know how you would really find evidence of what he said specifically. But he came and was like, yeah, I'm glad women aren't allowed here. Hmm. Going to Hard House, I'm constantly aware of that. And I think at some point the varsity actually operated in Hard House. Mm-hmm. So I think about like if women weren't allowed to either be in there or to participate in activities there. Right. Obviously the varsity does have this super long history of like reflecting like the poor student culture of Mm -hmm. the time but it's just interesting to think about yeah especially because like i mean just because of that fact that the varsity was one at one point hosted in heart house you can just take a look at the editors and the masthead from way back then Mm. that you can see it's just mostly men which surprise what a shock yeah so i'm sure like it's it's still in recent memory like there's still alumni who are still alive today that can probably speak to their experiences way better than us little tiny little 20 year olds can yeah but of course it's still there like Gerstein too I actually like my boyfriend's a white guy and I tried to explain to him once like we were walking through Gerstein and Gerstein I don't know if you go in like the right alleys but honestly kind of all over Gerstein there are these SMC has this most of the old buildings most general buildings have it like these giant portraits of old white dudes in roads and it's not like I'm saying the portraits should never have been made or that these people did not achieve things but like just walking through halls that are like plastered with just the same demographic, the same white dude over and over again, and every now and then you'll see a white lady, is it just kind of reminds you that you were like not so long ago would never have been welcome here. And that in a lot of ways, is an experience that is hard to convey to people. Like, at least, this is my experience with my boyfriend. It was, like, he could not understand, like, why it would sort of, not even upset me, just sort of, like, throw me off and just make me sad about, you know, the world, (laughs) walking through and seeing these portraits and being, like, yeah, like, however many years ago, like, I would not have been welcome here at all. And it's a weird feeling to have. At the same time, you sort of feel not lucky or fortunate, but you're like, ah, I live in a time when I am allowed to be in here. And then I kind of feel bad about all the people before me who weren't. And it's just a lot of sort of weird, complicated feelings that go along with being in these old buildings. There's also, I I am not a Trinity student, but I do know (laughs) that at least like a class, not classroom, but like a space where people can study, but also like the wall is littered with all of the Rhodes Scholars from Trinity College. Oh, okay. I actually did not know that. Yeah. But yeah, like that's also, I guess, what you were just talking about. This has been. And Mm -hmm. for a lot of people would probably argue that it's still sort of that way. Mm -hmm. So yeah, definitely those like eerie reminders are kind of everywhere, Mm -hmm. um, even though they may not particularly target or intend to target mm-hmm. you or I or anyone else passing by. It's, it is definitely like a different experience to like see those things and think differently than just, oh, look at all of our accomplished alumni instead of just look at all the faces that definitely don't look like you. Yeah. 
And I think we, like, again, it being a legacy institution, legacy, quote unquote, <laughs> plays into that more than it would at a newer institution where the buildings are newer and that. And from what I gather, at least infrastructure-wise, don't have it that as bad as a lot of the American universities that are, like, Ivy League and have that sort of... Mm-hmm. Like recently, I think it was Yale. I think I think it was Yale. They had the college that was named after I, th- I think it was a former slave owner, mm-hmm. and they decided to name it after a woman who was part of either Yale or that college. And his name had been like carved into buildings and things like that. From what I'm aware of, I don't know if U of T has like any homages that are that specific like to you know like former slave owners or anything like that but i'm sure they're there especially its own like colonial ties to history and stuff yeah but i mean they're definitely i'm sure they're there yeah please if you if you know in it most of the colleges are named after like old dudes (laughs) like hard house in this like if you know of any of the histories of the people that any, you know, U of T colleges or buildings are named after, let us know, podcast at the varsity.ca, tell us what the history is. We could not look into the history of every single building at U of T, shockingly, but if you know of any of those sort of homages that exist, let us know. We, mm-hmm. we want to hear from you. Is it different at UTM? Like, because UTM, I guess what I'm getting at more is like in new buildings, in newer buildings at U of T, is it a different feeling that you get? I think that it depends on the, it depends on where you are because there are still quote unquote older buildings, but Mm -hmm. I mean, the oldest building is probably South building or the Davis building, whatever it's called now. But even those have like newer extensions added to them. And I don't think because UTM is relatively new, I mean, it was Arendelle College before being UTM, and that was, like, what, like, in the 40s and, I don't know, 40s, but 50s and 60s. So there isn't a sense of legacy that's there. Mm-hmm. But I know in some particular buildings or uh, hallways, like, you'll definitely see what I guess you would consider something that you would notice in high school, where they have, like, that wall of, like, here is our class of... 72 or here is our whatever and then it's like a photo composite of all of the graduates from this particular (laughs) faculty which mostly speaks to the fact that like UTM is relatively new Mm -hmm. in the sense that it is what it was not made in 1829 or whatever the hell it is for St. George but I guess it's it's not it's definitely something that I don't think of because I just don't I'm not faced with that I guess history I mean, to be honest, like, I don't even know most of the history of UTM, other than the fact that it was Arendelle College before it was UTM. So, yeah, and I guess maybe that even speaks to the fact that, like, I don't know if this information was even recorded. Like, Mm -hmm. we know Hardhouse was exclusionary. We know that some of these uh, names and individuals of people were prominent in X, Y, or Z, but UTM isn't so much like that. Yeah. Which I'm not saying is a good or bad thing. It's just a thing. Yeah. And it could also speak to the fact that no one seemingly thinks that it can be an issue or Mm -hmm. it's not at the forefront of my mind yeah like I agree like with the class of whatever things too like even it's just such a subtle like small thing that you like you wouldn't even really think about but like I was walking in through Kelly today like Kelly Library at St. Mike's and yeah it was this class of I don't even remember the year probably like 70 something yeah actually no it would have been before that because they were all black and white pictures and it was just you know a bunch of dudes all white dudes with exactly the same haircut it was really weird it was actually so weird how exactly the same other haircuts were they gelled it the same way but 
yeah, I don't know, maybe new buildings at St. George are, like, kind of different because they still exist mm-hmm. on this thing. That, like, this whole institution, at least downtown, that has existed for so long and by virtue of the time period that it existed in, like, must have been really awful uh, to so many people at some point. These new buildings are on top of that in that same, you know, physical space, right? Mm-hmm. And we're not even getting into the colonial history of U of T. Right. But, you know, for example, my hall center, it's a new engineering building that just went up. I don't get the same sort of eerie feeling in my hall that I do in like a Hart House or a Gerstein or a Con Hall or something like that. It feels more to me like maybe how UTM buildings feel to you. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of like, yeah, it's just a place. Like there's no looming shadow of anything there that I'm actively like really conscious of like I know we've talked kind of about this before and we mentioned like you brought up anyway decision makers I think that still applies to new buildings like the who are the people who are making these choices about these physical spaces for students and staff and everyone right who are these decision makers but who are they catering to yeah because I mean the most prominent thing that I'm thinking of is I know this, like it's still ongoing, but like the building of the Daniels faculty, for instance, where it's first of all, like super delayed, which I mean, that could be for a whole number of reasons, but knowing that there was no lecture hall for these students. So they had to go to like a theater or something. Yeah. I don't know which theater it was. I think they went to Scotiabank, okay. which is down in the entertainment district. Which is very, very far away from and to my knowledge, I don't think that they covered TTC. I had a roommate who uh, my roommates in Daniels and I don't think she mentioned that they were offering to pay like TTC fare for people which is like a problem because you're in not only inconveniencing but also I just personally I cannot see the thought process behind okay well we're gonna do this construction for these students but are they actually for the students because the students are going to be heavily inconvenienced which like so many Mm -hmm. problems with that who is being put at the forefront of the reason why these buildings are being made? Yeah. Um, and, like, also the thing with, like, the, again, Daniel's uh, lecture hall that doesn't have desks. Yeah. Um, I kind of don't really understand that. I feel <laughs> like an, a school, within a school institution, to have, like, no desks is kind of ridiculous. I mean, again, I'm not like an architect. I'm not actively involved in these decision-making processes, but I can feel like something as simple as that, knowing that the purpose is being made for students is kind of ridiculous. And that kind of speaks to to a lack of just consulting the people who are actually going to be occupying these spaces on a daily basis Mm -hmm. and thinking about their needs. That's still a thing. And you can even think of it as a reminder of, the fact that no, like physical spaces, even the new physical spaces being made at U of T are not democratized. They're not like they're not as outwardly unfriendly to as many people as before. But I think incidents like that sort of indicate and just remind you that no, there are still people making decisions who have the power to make the decisions and are either consulting and not caring about or just aren't consulting at all the actual people who are going to be needing and using the spaces. And I know you mentioned too, like, accessibility. Yeah, like, I mean, of course, with the older buildings, like, there's a bit more, I think, from my understanding, there's a bit more slack that's cut to them, namely, like, 
if the building was made before a certain year, then they will do the best they can to accommodate for accessibility needs, whether it be uh, having a ramp or having like a wide enough hallway or, or an elevator or something. But again, with these like newer buildings, like I'm sure there isn't enough thought being put into these needs. Like for instance, having a desk, I feel like <laughs> that's again, super important, but also just the, I guess, process of going through these construction sites. I am not an urban studies major or, or urban planning major, so I don't know what exactly the process would look like, but I feel like consultation is something that should have happened. So from what I gather from my roommate in Daniels, at least this is just like Daniels we're talking about right now, right. Um, They, the auditorium you're talking about without the desk, I think was already a thing. It was mm-hmm. built and they had this sort of town hall thing with Daniels students and that's when it was brought up. That that's when the desk thing got brought up and was discussed, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, um, especially because, like, at least from my understanding of just general like development things, because one of my friends studied urban planning and she told me about the stuff that you have to do, like surveying neighborhoods and like understanding the needs of the people who will be using the space. I feel like that's something that is done, whether it's mm-hmm. good or not. I don't know, but I mean, in this case, I feel like it was pretty poor yeah yeah but we did i think last year's varsity magazine had the physical issue had that article that was about how accessible different places on campus are and i don't think there were very many buildings that got 100 percent. yeah i mean in in just to recap that article too it was a very i guess narrow scope of accessibility like in the sense that it looked at whether or not the building had a ramp or mm-hmm. entry, whether or not it had an elevator, and whether or not there were any like sort of spaces that were inaccessible for whatever reason. And so we sort of like did a, a, um, a checklist of whether or not these buildings had passed or not passed according to our own like rating system. Mm-hmm. And a lot of buildings that I learned about had those kinds of issues. Like some buildings had floors that were entirely closed off to people because the elevator wouldn't go high enough mm-hmm. or the stairwell was too narrow or the hallways were too narrow. So yeah, that's definitely, that's definitely something that's, a, I think, a pretty big issue that is constantly being, I wouldn't say overlooked, but something that hasn't been discussed too much. It's sort of interesting. I You can kind of look at the physical spaces on campus as sort of these markers of whether or not progress is being made mm-hmm. to be more accessible to not just people with accessibility needs, but also just friendly to people of all kinds. And it's just sort of interesting to see how it goes, like what stays and how new things are built. Right kind of looking at it as this sort of like indicator of whether or not we're making progress. Academics fucking suck sometimes. Academia, you're a fucking bitch. Wow. Um, yeah, I mean, let's talk about it. What does that, what does that mean? I think that a lot of the conversations that we've had about the problems with academia have been focused on its treatment of women specifically. Um, and I think that's kind of the turn that our discussion today about academia will probably continue to take because that is the way we've experienced it. And obviously race plays into that as well. But I think predominantly the conversations that we've had about how sucky academia is a lot of the time have been focused on how bad it is to be both a woman in 
academics now and also to be a woman just studying from certain profs now Mm -hmm. and to just be a woman in the material that's being studied (laughs) um let's talk first about how women are tend to be treated in the material specifically that we study in class not necessarily how the profs treat that material but how they factor in the material because you are art and art history and english which are two like major things and i'm doing a film minor which is probably the biggest thing that I study anyway that actually contains women in the material that you're studying. Okay. So how are women treated in art, LM? Well, that's a loaded question. <laughs> also to say, too, that, like, I, yeah, I'm double majoring in English and art history, and so it definitely depends on, first of all, the class you're taking, of course, but also, like, the subject matter. So... Especially in, like, the beginning, where I was taking mostly survey courses that were, like, large in scope, and it would range from, like, I don't know, like, the first few hundred years of whatever the fuck to, like, the 16th century to 17th century and onwards, like, the general, I guess, feeling is kind of the same, whereas women were not really allowed to do anything. Yeah. (laughs) Like, as in, like, they weren't even, or at least from the material we studied, like, they were never other than the subject they were only to be looked at they were never to be discussed they were never to be analyzed it was kind of just like this is what the epitome of genius is and on the other (laughs) side this is what the epitome of beauty is it is this female figure and it usually has to deal with lots of female like characteristics or qualities or at least things that you would prescribe to female and femininity and it's interesting because when you take something like these materials like, again, our conversation will probably structure mainly around, like, visual arts and film, which is also, like, a form of visual art right. in a lot of ways, because those are the things that we study. When women have been treated so shittily in those sort of fields and that material, it's interesting to see the way that profs work with that material. And, right. oh, my lord, <laughs> profs do such a fucking bad job most of the time, from my personal experience. Cool. I have had a few profs who have been really good. Like, I had an English prof, I had even, like, a media studies prof that were amazing at sort of pointing out the role that women were forced to play and were sort of shoved into in a lot of the material that we were studying, as well as examining, briefly even, the context around the people who create it. So it means a lot to me anyway when a prof can just straight up say like they don't have to spend a whole class talking about it they don't have to mention it every class but can just acknowledge like for example in film only a certain demographic aka mostly white men could create at a certain time and that obviously means that a lot of the films of this period or that period were mainly made by men and that's why we're studying things mainly made by men like just acknowledging that context that sort of social context around this material that you're studying in class just briefly can be so important and i've actually i had a prof who did a really good job of that with a really racist film that we were talking about and he just mentioned briefly like this is deeply racist we're not watching it in class and this is because we could watch all these other things that sort of do the same thing formally. This is why this movie was considered important, but we don't need to watch it. And acknowledge sort of that it contributed to a culture of racism at the time, etc., etc. He did a really good job of that. And then 
for some reason, like doing that for women is really hard for profs. And I don't know why. Part of me wants to hope that it's like a shared understanding, which of course it never <laughs> <It's> not. is. <laughs> but you know, like, I don't know. Sometimes I feel like it's professors like that, like you just mentioned, like that's great. And I really hope that more can do that. But I also wonder too, if it's sort of something that they bring up, not because they have a full understanding of it, but more so of this is what people are talking about right now. So this is what I should probably like bring up, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Just because like, I don't know. I personally, I think it's just have like a mistrust of like <laughs> academia and professors yes. and like things that are said within those spaces just because I like, I can't sometimes believe them. And I also <laughs> say that from, from an understanding too, that like, especially within like smaller classes and seminar classes and tutorials where you have more of a discussion-based thing versus someone lecturing at you. But it's very easy to feel like you're in this sort of third space, in this third bubble where you're independent outside of today's culture or society is or even within the study within the culture of what you're studying right now it's very easy to remove yourself from it and just like speak of it as if it either isn't something that's being perpetuated or affected in whatever way today and I'm thinking mostly back to like one of my art history classes where um, we were studying Edward Said and we were studying orientalism and that text which I feel like is every like first and second year like philosophy related like intro or whatever but the way that we were discussing it was in the art history sense was about how these artists would quote-unquote visit the orient which Mm. is in this case north africa and the middle east and would paint scenes of what exactly the orient looks like and of course these scenes were almost always no they were always racist and they were always like viewed in a very specific way but the way that we would discuss it in class was very much like this is this is the meaning of this and this is what this and this is why this happened but not in a sense that like can we all agree here that this is a problem to make these assumptions about a group of people that you have never encountered in your life exactly like the racism and sexism that existed in these materials that we study are so rarely acknowledged and like you said sometimes i like to think that it's because people are just like except like it's just assumed but it's not and it becomes like that elephant in the room yeah and i get really i can get really uncomfortable in if we're just studying this overtly sexist or racist material that the prof just is letting slide and just isn't mentioning a single thing about by the way this is bad like (laughs) and also because too like I mean for myself anyway like me and like one of my friends are probably one of the only people in the room or I can't assume that but like we're probably the only people in the room who are like remotely related to the Middle East or Mm. remotely Muslim I'm sure there probably were more people but again in these spaces where you're feeling like people are talking about specific things that may or may not relate to you and feeling like okay so there's like a million eyes on me right now and (laughs) I feel like people are coming to me with concerns or questions it's kind of like that thing that I feel like most black people go through, myself included, in middle and high school, where it's February 1st, and people come to you about questions about Black History Month, and you're just like, okay, but why are you coming to me about this, though? (laughs) Anyways, that's a bit of a tangent, but yeah, like, it's definitely weird being, or having that elephant in the room when it's so clearly something that 
yeah in my eyes should be discussed yeah and sometimes like i feel like the not discussing it or like barely discussing it is kind of like the norm for most profs sadly then there are some profs that oh my sweet god are so bad i've only had a few profs like this but like okay in one of the classes i'm in right now i swear to jesus we have not watched a single film in the last like few weeks or month or so that hasn't included some form of female nudity mm-hmm. look i get that that was the norm for sadly most of the time of the time we're studying right and the genre that we're studying so it's not like i'm like you can never show a, a film with a naked woman in it no that's not, not possible but this prof not only does this prof not acknowledge that by the way this is like really dumb and completely using women to achieve other means and art the prof just like revels in it and it's nasty and i hate it oh my god there was one scene that was like it was a naked woman who was dancing, but really, like, was just kind of, like, jiggling her tits, okay? <laughs> okay. And so, um, another day, like, this prop was referring back to that film and was like, can you, anyone remember the, the other aspect of it? Because in this film, there were, like, nuclear bombs and naked dancing lady. Okay. And so we talked about the nuclear bombs and this prop was being like, can anyone remember the other aspect? And no one's putting up their hand. And it's a very small class. Not very small. It's just not super large, yeah. right? Like, it's kind of class where you have discussion, you talk. And no one was raising their hand, and the prof was like, well, maybe the boys will remember. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, yes. Are you kidding me? And it almost seems <sighs> like he, he says that because, it's like, he expects, like, that to be to be the reaction like he yeah he, he plays the film so that he can yeah. get that reaction like the prof here. truly does not get that any of this is wrong or that it's creepy or that it's just really weird and it's a weird culture because you're engaging in this voyeurism like we watched another film right. recently again naked lady in it doing like explicitly sexual things and I, i'll say now we didn't need to watch that film because we'd watched other films from that filmmaker that did the same things formally as this one did. And there was no reason that we needed to watch this film, otherwise we wouldn't understand. <laughs> and so we watch it, and I'm just like, I'm really annoyed right now, and I'm I'm sorry, but I feel like probably there are some other women in the class who also felt uncomfortable watching a naked woman roll around and like hold her breasts and all this other stuff, okay? And so when the movie turns off, like again, it's a giant elephant in the room thing. It's like, is no one gonna point out that this artist and many of the other artists that we've been studying consistently use the female form as like this sort of like representation of humanity and emotion and all this other stuff. Like, are we not going to address that, that this is clearly what that was and that this is clearly what we've been seeing for the past few weeks? No, like the prof and some of the other guys, students in the room, immediately started engaging in this conversation about, you know, like the formal aspects of the film. And it was really uncomfortable. It was like, I, I will I will maintain that for most of like 
the art, at least that I've seen, like, dude artists have just been, like, I'm too smart to just like boobs. Like, Gosh. I have to make it smart. So they would throw it into their work and they would like use the female form to like represent all this shit. And then other academic dudes who were also like horny but not like stupid enough to just be like tits, man, <laughs> would be like, would be like, ah, oh, yes. And they would just like sit there stroking their beards and be like, ah, oh, form art. Naked lady plus a bomb equals art. Equals art. <laughs> oh my god. Like, it, it actually kills me the way some profs will mm. handle the material. And you know what, too? And it's sort of, I mean, this, I don't know if this goes, like, off topic, but it also, like, within these sort of studies, specifically where the female figure or a, a female or a woman is, is, like, the center of attention, there is never any sort of either in the discourse or otherwise like there's never any sort of like understanding or even like what I would hope for is a form of like consenting to like this sort of thing like I'm specifically thinking of and I can't remember her name really bad I'm an art history major I cannot remember (laughs) her name anyways they would photograph she would just like photograph these subjects most of the time without their consent and it became a topic of conversation because like who exactly are these people being photographed and is that is our understanding of who these people are based on the artist on the photographer or is it based on information that's been provided to them or anyways my point being that it's never anything more than just the figure or the image of a female or a woman or something it just kind of like plays into this whole like continuing notion of the fact that like women don't seemingly are or or women aren't valued for anything other than the fact that they have a figure and it's seemingly used for other means to an end yeah but not anything that's like implied on that fact and of course there are artists who like subvert this idea but Mm -hmm. yeah can i also point out that a prof once said that he didn't include films by and then listed a bunch of women because they're covered in the feminist approaches to film studies class. I'm like, bitch, do you understand how many classes I've had to hear about Marshall motherfucking McLuhan? Like, and there's a fourth year McLuhan seminar where all they talk about is McLuhan. So McLuhan gets to be peppered into all these amazing media classes that I take, but no, like, women filmmakers, God forbid, they come outside of their feminist film realm (laughs) because if it's made by a woman of course it must be in the feminist film class and if it's in the feminist film class of course we can't study it in any other classes yeah no totally because it's relegated just to that oh my fucking god yeah same like Issa Rae oh my god just gotta wait for the old guard to die for all of them to die (laughs) tick tick all of those old execs just gotta wait their time is coming Oh my god. <laughs> Disclaimer, we are not wishing death on, uh, we're not wishing death on these profs. You know. But we're I'm just like, merely commenting, as these array ones did, that you just gotta wait for them to, yeah, and I love wait for them to die. Anyways. Anyway, I was, it was like the first roll call, okay? I'm a Chinese-looking person. I am Chinese, yes. I was adopted when I was 10 months old, and I was raised by a white mother, and I was given a British name, which is Blythe. Okay? Okay. That is my name. Hello, Bly. Hi, Hi, <laughs> Okay. And so he's going down the roll call, and then 
he, you know, he says Blythe Hunter, and I'm like, yeah, that's me. Yeah, that's me. Hand up. And he's like, really? Mm. Blythe Hunter? Mm. I'm like, no, like, randomly, vaguely Chinese-sounding name. Are you happy now? <laughs> Honestly, oh. there's so much to be said there. But yeah. That's just another example, to me anyway, of, like, how the academic space can just be, like, really nasty for so many people. Who don't already fit in in those spaces. Exactly. Totally. Yeah. Like, just having something like that, like, it bothered me, yeah, but for some people, like, that could very well make them feel, like, really uncomfortable in the class. For sure. And I know in that class now, like, with that prof, like, I don't feel comfortable speaking up. I don't want to speak up, because everything I have to say to him is just, like, you're a fucking bitch, <laughs> and your syllabus needs some, like, turnover real fast. For sure. And I don't want to comment on when the prof asked me, for example, in the class that I mentioned where we watched this, like, naked woman just doing sexual things. And again, there was more context around it. It wasn't just that. But, like, when he asked for comments after, I was just like, I just don't even want to make any comments. And so it turned into just dudes talking to each other about a naked woman and pretending that they were smart. inherently is kind of very uncomfortable. Yes. Oh, yeah. Totally. Very uncomfortable. (laughs) There's also, yeah, I mean, you just mentioned it earlier about, like, women within the studies, too. And... I've been lucky enough in that I've had professors who actively make sure there is at least some form of equilibrium or at least whatever that could look like within their the course reading and course material mm-hmm. because I've also had those professors who have been like, okay, you know, week 10, week 11 comes by, that's going to be class where we're going to talk about women in whatever course this is about. It could be about like material culture and, and consumerism in the 1890s, which is one of the classes I took. Or, or, I don't know, art in 1945, where they only have one specific class that is just dedicated to, you know, the women class or, like, the POC <laughs> class or yeah. whatever. And oftentimes, too, or at least, like, a couple times over, we've had, I've had this class that is, end up being rushed because, of course, it's a, mm-hmm. always pushed to the end of the semester when... Yeah. First of all, people stop going. I yep. mean, at least myself. I stop going to class. <laughs> or, or, um... They're just such a, like, we're behind for whatever reason because, I don't know, professor had to be away or we need extensions, whatever. But it's always that class or it seemingly is always that class that ends up being cut short where, you know, Mm. we're going to talk about women today. We're going to talk about POC, which also is funny enough. They're both shoved into one category. Oh, amazing. Yes. Not just, you know, like you were saying, lightly sprinkled and peppered into the rest of the material. Yeah. And yeah, it's just like, it's super discouraging because I'm just like, I'm so tired of learning about these really not that interesting artists who are usually white and usually male. Another thing, we spend so much time delving into the supposed genius of all these like male artists. That one about the square that you told me about. Oh my God. See, (laughs) there's an artist. Amazing. And... What they did was record their performance artist and they recorded themselves in their studio walking around a, a chalked up square. So they took a chalk, a piece of chalk, and they drew in a square and they recorded themselves for probably like 10 minutes or so, just like walking around said square, just, just walking, just mm-hmm. nothing special, just like walking in a square. Yes. And we spent a whole class just like talking about that. And, like, 
I do understand that this was in reaction to whatever the fuck was going on within art history, blah, 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 blah. But like, I'm just like, I, this, like, that is our whole class, like, in, like the whole, like, 12 weeks or whatever, like, that's like the kind of material we're learning about. And maybe that speaks to like me not enjoying the material, but I'm so sure there were more interesting things that were happening. So yeah, I mean, there's definitely lots to be said there about just like the concept of genius and why it's always relegated to men. What can, what can I even what say? Can what else say can I anymore? say? I mean, yeah. yeah. Again, please, please, please send us your experiences. Tell us what you think. And we would love to be able to include it on air. So for this week, the UTM bureau chief for the varsity, Zaha, actually responded to us. And this is what Zaha said. My intersectional identity makes it very hard to occupy physical and mental space. I often am the only hijab-wearing woman in the room, and that can be intimidating as I feel like I'm representing the entire population of Muslims or hijab-wearing women in particular. Though I want to break the impression of submission, in quotes, that Muslim women are often associated with, I also find myself reluctant to speak up lest people label me aggressive or extremist. As a woman, especially an immigrant woman, I also find myself talked over a lot because people assume I don't know how things work. Even in a room full of people of color or women, I find that a patronizing white male voice tends to dominate the conversation, which is annoying to say the least. I can say that in terms of like fear, the fear of like looking or being labeled as like loud or, br- or brash or anything of that sort um, was kind of similar to something that I had experienced in one of my studio classes. Studio classes are pretty like open, like in terms of like you have an assignment, you probably do in like three or four weeks. You have some initial instruction, but otherwise it's pretty like easygoing in the sense that it's sort of like self-structured. So one of my professors, like she kind of, I guess she had like an issue with one of my friends. I, I don't really remember what this issue was, but she had like problems with my friend. But for some reason, she sort of like associated it to the group of us. And part of me wonders if the issue that she had with us was related to the fact that like, two out of the four of us were black in terms of like I don't know like us being loud but also like the whole class was loud so it's like like why why does it feel like you're like targeting us out yeah I mean it's yeah what Zaha said can be very relatable yeah in a lot of ways I mean neither of us can relate to the idea of being the only hijab wearing woman in the room but I know for me too like the thing of not be- wanting to be labeled aggressive or whatever, I don't worry as much about that as I do just, like, I don't want to just get into it with people who will never get it. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like, in some of my classes, I'm just like, am I really going to put my hand up right now and just be like, this material is bad because blah, blah, blah. Right. The way you're teaching this material is blah, blah, blah. Am I going to email my profs and say that when they're just going to, we're just going to get in some debate or dialogue that I do not have the energy for because I'm doing 5,001 other things. Like, I just, some people, once they get to a certain age, at least certainly with profs, that's the case, what are you going to do? You know what I mean? I think that, like, as I've been in school for a million and one years, (laughs) I've learned some strategies, which is really just, and again, that's also because I'm, like, in an upper year, so I have more, like, leeway with the kind of classes I want to take, but um, 
searching up the professors and like who they are, but also like the kinds of research they've done mm. and seeing if any of it aligns with something that I'm interested in. I mean, it's one thing to take romantic poetry in the 19th century, but then it's another when you read up the professor who's teaching it and their focus is namely on one or two countries and whatever part of the world it may be in. But also like this is something that I've learned through just like having those professors that I just do not like mm -hmm. and not wanting to have that happen anymore. So if you have any thoughts related to any of this, whether you agree or disagree, whatever, let us know at podcast at thevarsity.ca. We want to hear your thoughts. Thank you for lending your ears. We'll see, see you later. Yeah. Goodbye. Au revoir. Bye.